0: Hello everybody, welcome to this Ask Me Anything episode of Impact the World. It's always a treat to get to do these special episodes for you and to see all of the questions that you submit. So thank you so much, all of you who submit questions. We take a good cross section of the questions that are submitted, but we read all of them. So if you do want to submit a question for us, you can do that by going to Apple Podcasts where Impact the World is homed. And if you leave a review for the podcast, you can put your question inside the review. And then our show producers go through the questions, bring them to me, and that's how we decide. Also, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us as we are a self-funded show, It means a lot to us if you subscribe on your chosen channel. So if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast on any of the audio platforms, subscribe on your platform of choice. And you can leave us a rating or a review. That always really helps. And we love to hear from you and how you're experiencing the show. So thank you for that. But for today, we had some incredible questions come in. So I'm going to kick us off with the first one. Hi, Lee. How can we learn to trust ourselves, our guidance, our intuition? When I feel like I'm getting guidance or intuition, the voice of doubt or sabotage rears its head quickly. Can you offer suggestions for how to work with that and really know and trust? This is a great question and I can't tell you how many times I've been asked something like this question over the last 20 years. There are a couple of reasons that we have a doubtful voice and a sabotage voice. If you've been around me for many years, you will have heard me over the years talk about our cultural collective programming around anything to do with intuition or psychic phenomena or unseen worlds. There is a very doubting energy in our culture. You know, this shows up as skepticism. This shows up as judgment or finger pointing at people who have an intuitive skill or say that they're having an intuition. Now things are changing in that that way and it's certainly not as heavy as it was say even 20 years ago, but it's still there. It's still very much in our wiring to be suspicious or to doubt. And that's something that's been cleverly woven into our culture to keep us away from trusting or using that faculty. So you only have to look at the witch hunts that really are not that, that long ago in, in, in our history to look at the origin of some of that judgment or separation. So as we know, what shows up collectively can also show up for us and in us. I remember when I first started channeling, I was never skeptical of what I was experiencing with the channel because once I'd done it a few times and I saw how useful the information was and I was very clear that I was receiving things that I, at the time, did not know, my issue at the time was not so much trusting what I was receiving, but A, figuring out how to apply that to my life, and B, I was very aware. Of who I should and shouldn't talk to about it. You know, the people who were open to it, it was easy for me to talk about it. But the people who weren't open to it, I didn't necessarily want to be the subject of their skepticism or stand for their skepticism. I I kind of felt like, I'll let you work that out some other way by yourself. I don't want to be in a fight here. Well, we get into that same fight in ourselves. So it's quite normal to have doubt or sabotage or skepticism when you start talking to or allowing your intuition through. People always used to say to me, well, how do I know I'm not making it up? And I said, well, even that sentence implies that you're not involved. I think we have some idea that our intuition or a psychic message should be completely divorced from who we are as a human being. And I do not ascribe to that at all. I don't think it is separate from us. That's the whole point. We're connected to all of these realms. And the only way we get better at it is practice. So for me, it definitely was a process in the early, I would say the first year that connecting with my intuition, connecting with my guides, connecting with my soul, it started to change me slowly. And that very strong voice of self-doubt that I had started to, over the years, loosen its grip on me because I was practicing and bringing something else through. So for you, what you're describing, which will be very common, is what is being revealed to you is your own resistance to connecting with your intuition. And rather than seeing that as a bad thing or you being frustrated that that's happening, see this as a healing opportunity for you. You learning to trust your intuition and to regularly connect with it is going to lessen the power over time of your skeptical voice, your sabotage voice, your voice of disbelief. So as with any aspect of ourselves that we're working with, the worst thing we can do is to separate from it. So for example, if I was trying to do something bold in my life next week, and I felt a part of me that came up that was fearful, Back in the day, I would probably have been hard on myself or annoyed that I felt fearful, but now I'm like, oh, that's interesting. There's a part of me that feels fearful. What is it afraid of? I'll I'll ask it. I'll ask some questions. I'll do some journaling. So I would start asking your inner skeptic or your inner saboteur, what am I afraid of? If I continue to work with my intuition, listen to these messages, what's the worst thing that could happen? And if you sit down and go through a writing process, you'll be surprised at what gets revealed. It may say to you, I'm just trying to keep you safe. I don't want you to be judged by everyone in the world. And it's like, okay, well then, I just won't tell everyone in the world for six months. I'll just keep this private and have this relationship. So in looking for your answer here, the answer is going to be the more you commit to practicing and practicing is not just about practicing with your intuition. It's actually even more in your case about learning to lovingly lessen your skepticism, to not let your skepticism try and destroy something that has come into your life that is bringing you a lot of light and wisdom and to know that it's a process. You know, we're very impatient as humans. That's kind of how we've been trained. So There is this idea that, oh, well, I found my intuition now. Now it should be easy and it should all just click in in my life, but it doesn't work like that. When you start working with intuition in a very real, grounded, daily practiced way, it changes who you were before. Slowly and over time, it shifts you. So To recognize this is a learning process for you and perhaps the reason that you're being so hard on yourself is because Those are the voices you're most used to. Perhaps your family of origin or people that were very influential on you were always teaching you to doubt yourself. And that is what your intuition connection is going to help you heal. Because all of us are really making it up and creating it as we go. We're every single day creating where we're going next. So, if you can celebrate the fact that you found this uncomfortable part of yourself, but that you have the capacity to know how to work with it and get through it and to find support to help you with that. It's gonna make a huge difference to your life. So rather than seeing this as a negative, just noticing, oh wow, look at this resistance in me. What is this resistance here for? What is it afraid of? And to ask it those questions and to recognize that the very reason this, if you like, contrast is happening in you is because there is a new level of connection, love and intuition that you are bringing into your body. And what's that doing? It's scaring the part of you that isn't used to having this in the room. So it's a very natural process. And as we move forward with our intuition, it is the very rare person who doesn't have to go through some human change about beliefs, about ideas, about your mindset to let this in so let the process be as private as you need to be but do continue to seek support that might help you if it gets tough at times and look at what that aspect of you is trying to protect you from because it's just trying to protect you from something that it sees as unknown so i hope that helps good luck and thank you for the question Okay, could you give me some illumination on the path from being a people pleaser to unlocking the authentic self? I struggle very much with fear, fear of making mistakes, fear of being rejected, fear of failure and deep loneliness. I can see my patterns even while they are active and it makes me angry with myself. I feel so small and weak when I feel my addiction to other people's approval. This is the second question today because, in a way, some of what I just said in answer number one applies. There is a part of you that is trying to transform, and there's a part of your question here where you say, I feel so small and weak when I feel my addiction to other people's approval. It's going to be really important for you to not be angry at yourself about that and to recognize the anger is probably coming from a boundary in you that you no longer want to be living this way. But if you're only turning the anger toward yourself, rather than investigating it in a mindful way, it's going to be destructive rather than informative. So the way you can be mindful about this, is to wonder where that came from, to do some work on figuring out Why did I become so addicted to people-pleasing? I'll give you an example. Many of us will become addicted to people-pleasing to keep ourselves safe in a relationship. So an extreme example would be if you had, let's say, a parent who had volatile emotional outbursts, and you learned that they were very easily triggered by things, you would, in order to keep yourself safe and to keep things smooth as a child, you would learn to people please. In the process, losing your own authentic voice, but becoming a voice that would keep you safe in this very tricky dynamic. So, people pleasing is such a common theme, and especially for empaths, sensitives, people, those of us that like harmony in a room. You know, we may have found ways to create harmony or try and influence harmony in the past that was our best attempt at doing it, our way of staying safe in a relationship or with a parent or at school. So for you, I do understand the gift in what you're asking is that you're really noticing what you're doing. And my guides, the Z's, have always said it's so important for us to celebrate when we notice a pattern that we need to heal or let go of. Our human tendency is to go, oh God, I'm doing that thing again. And that actually just compacts us. It compresses us. It, the anger and the judgment just kind of shuts us down. Now, if you find yourself doing that, okay, you might go, oh, I was a bit angry. I was a bit judgmental. Can you instead, perhaps out loud, say, I acknowledge and celebrate the fact I am noticing I no longer want to be addicted to people-pleasing or something along those lines. Just say it out loud because it will change the thoughts. Whenever we have very heavy judgmental thoughts, for example, you're looking in the mirror, I don't look good enough today. Catch the thought, notice, oh, that wasn't very nice towards myself. And that's probably just an ingrained pattern. Can I say, you look great today? And even if at first you don't fully believe it, what you're doing is you're reversing the vibration of the words that you are used to sending your way. For example, think about it. If someone comes up to you and they say, oh, hi, it's so nice to see you. You, you look really great today. That gives you a very different feeling to if I came up to you and went, mm, didn't want to see you today. You look awful. How do we feel when, when faced with that kind of difference? So imagine if we're speaking to ourselves the way the second person just spoke to us, think of what we're having to battle every day just to get through. So this is why self-judgment has always been something that we have imbibed from the outside world. We were all trained in it very young. I was just talking with a friend the other day and we were saying how brutal the playground can be when you're at school. And how quickly as little humans, we start to play out that same psychological, emotional warfare that we've either imbibed from television or what we see in the adult world and just what we feel in the energy of the consciousness of humanity at the moment on the planet. So really freeing yourself from judgment toward the self or toward others is huge. It's not necessarily easy. And it does take time and vigilance, but the first steps based on your question here, I would say to you, celebrate the fact that you are seeing these patterns. Ask yourself, when did they originate? Where did they come from? What are they trying to protect you from? Just sit down and write some things out. It's always amazing how when you do that level of inquiry by yourself, pen and paper, or type some things out, you'll be surprised what will come through. And that adds a bit more illumination. But I would even go a step further. And if this is a real issue for you at the moment, I would start looking into different kinds of teachers or teachings who have anything to offer around self-judgment or people pleasing or any of the things that you're feeling. I would make that something I would put some focus on. I'd be like, okay, I need some help with this area. I'm going to say to the universe, I'm open for help, which is me putting the intention out. But I'm also going to pay attention and see who comes across my radar in the next few weeks that might have a piece of wisdom for me. Or maybe I'm going to go and seek out some kind of teaching or training on it, and I'm going to absorb as much as I can to support my shift. So I hope that helps, and thank you for the question. Hi, Lee. Several people who are doing great work in the soul spiritual community have passed away in recent months. Why are these people leaving earth at this time when they are needed the most? It's a great question. I feel a little differently about the second sentence in your question. I I tend to have a belief and an understanding, and this comes also through my guides, that we leave when we're supposed to. And The one thing the Zs have always talked about is that our death is very well-timed for everyone around us. We tend to have sometimes this idea that, oh, well, when I'm done, I will exit the planet. But they've always said that the moment that we leave is well-calculated for the whole group who are going to be left behind and affected by your death. So, what I tend to notice happens when a luminary leaves the planet So for example, maybe that's a spiritual teacher. Maybe that's your favorite musician. Maybe that was your grandmother. When somebody that we have in a position of being an important luminary or an important spiritual person in our life leaves, of course, we go through the grief of them not being here in the physical anymore. That's part of the process and that's perfectly natural. But we also have an opportunity to become them a little more in ourselves they're no longer there playing out what we used to get from them. So, we either find other people who can play out those aspects for us, or we become them a little more. They don't fully leave. They're still in us because they're in our consciousness. So, some of the people that we miss when they pass, they're in our thoughts, they're in our feelings, they're in some of our behaviors. and. I also believe that this is a time where all of us are needed to show up and step up. It doesn't mean everybody needs to become, if you like a leader or known by lots of people. It's just us stepping up to be as much in our light as we can for ourselves, for our community, for the planet as a whole. And so when we feel the great loss of somebody who has represented that the loss is real and it must be honored. But equally, we can ask ourselves, wow, well, what did they really stand for, for me in life? And now I've no longer got them as the focal point for that or the person that I am hiring to play that energy out for me. I wonder who else I can find or how I can become that or how I'm going to really ingrain what they taught me now. Because we're on a human level, we're all here for a fairly brief time On a soul level, as we know, it's eternal. But on a human level, it's a fairly brief life. And our job as we go through life is to continually transform. So rather than missing the loss of what someone represented, ask yourself, well, how can I create myself a little bit more in the way that I used to experience and celebrate them for? Or who else am I now going to come across who is going to hold that position? So for me, I never, uh, I never feel anything other than the natural ebb and flow of life. When I see somebody who has been an influential figure on a personal level or on a worldwide level pass on, it always, for me, reminds me, yep, that's going to be all of us one day. And so the question is then, how are we going to live today? What do we want to do with our life? What do we celebrate in life? What do we want to cultivate? Who do we want to become more of? So for me, it's just that the baton gets handed on. Each time a certain group or a certain person passes on, it lets another person step up and step into their place. So I hope that helps and sending you love for who, whoever it is that you particularly have been missing. Other than daily practice and self-care, what is something we can do in the moment when faced with someone with whom we must interact when we can feel our energy depleting or our mood deflating during that interaction? This is an interesting one because you know there are I I had a I many years ago I, I remember saying to somebody on a on a group teaching that you know you can't love and light your way out of this one. You know, there's that phrase, oh, I'm just going to send it love and light and it will all disappear. Sometimes, metaphysically, that can work. But the truth is, if you're recognizing that there is someone that you are in a relationship with, that you have to maintain that relationship, whether they're someone at work, someone in the family, someone for what other reason that you are connected to, if you notice that you are repetitively losing energy or deflating when you're around them, the only thing you can do is change. The only thing you can do is change. So for example, one of the things that I always encourage people to do whenever they notice they are shrinking in a room or they feel like they're in a room that they can't just leave, I say, well, how much of you are you putting in that room or in that relationship? Because often what we'll do is we'll go, oh, I don't like this. I'll just quieten down and I'll just sit back a little bit and I'll just, I'll watch this playing out part of the reason your energy starts to deflate is you aren't rising to the meeting of the relationship. Now, you might not want to do that. No part of you wants to have to change or have to become a little bolder. But the only way that that relationship will transform is if you change the way you are playing it. You're talking about a consistent pattern with a person. The only way that's going to change is if you change some of the way you are showing up. So it might be that you say something very out of character for you with that person. Perhaps that person is just telling you a story of how depressed they are for five minutes. And you've heard this story a million times because it's always the same. They're not even connected to the words they're saying. They are just trying to have you witness and see them in their suffering. And you have not yet tried some other ways to talk to them. So you could point out what you're experiencing. Just as one example, you might say, you know, every time we have this conversation, I always feel for you because you feel very you feel very sad and very down about all of this. Have you have you thought about maybe seeing if you can get some support with this? Because I always feel for you, but I, I feel like you need some support. You point out to the person what it is they're broadcasting into the room in a very gentle, non-judgmental way, but you You tell them what you're feeling in the room that's difficult for you to be with. And sometimes what can happen is the person isn't even aware, they're unconscious. And it's just a habit they have. It's their way of connecting with people. They've kind of got used to connecting with people in that way, it's their habit. So sometimes you wake someone up from their habit. By naming the habit and the pattern, you give the person a moment to go, oh, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And some people, will notice, and you might have to say it to them a couple of times, but it will slightly change the direction of the interaction and slightly change the direction of the relationship. Other times, as we know, people don't like that. They get defensive. They get, so the thing is, one way or another, you're going to need to change the dynamic of the relationship. You're either going to need to get to a point where the two of you recognize this is not a good interaction for the two of you, and that person no longer wants to speak to you for as long or be around you. Or they're able to change their behavior a little bit so that there is a way that the two of you can connect. But if you keep disappearing and expecting the human interaction to change and hoping it changes or sending love and light to it, but nothing's changing, the only way that relationship is going to change is if you change the script. And that might be words, but it may also be action. Maybe you're spending 30 minutes with that person, and for whatever reason, you're going to start making it 10 minutes. You might say up front, um, just to let you know, I only have 10 minutes today. So um, if we can just go through the things we need to go through, and then I need to leave, start putting boundaries in action, if not in words or in availability. So you're going to have to experiment with changing your dynamic if you're not comfortable having an outright direct communication with them about what you're experiencing. And sometimes it's not appropriate to say to someone, every time I'm with you, I feel drained. That's too over the head for some people, and it doesn't necessarily help them understand or know how to change. So only you will know what is the right next step to take in this specific relationship that you're in, but change is going to be the key you're going to have to make some changes as to how you show up, what you do and don't say, and how you behave when you're around this person. Otherwise, the same pattern is just going to keep repeating. Thanks for your question. I want to start a podcast because I know it will help me grow my brand, but I am not sure what the first steps are or where to start. Any advice would be helpful. Okay, well, I think firstly, you know, starting a podcast just because you want it to grow your brand. I mean, sure, that, that can be a byproduct of growing a podcast, but I wouldn't approach it strategically quite like that. I would actually get a little clearer on what kind of podcast do you think you would enjoy doing? Because often when we think strategically, we're willing to cut ourselves out of the process in order to achieve some end result. So for example, if someone says to you, oh, you could earn, let's say, a million dollars doing this thing, and your mind lights up and goes, oh, a million dollars, and then they start telling you what you've got to do about it, you're still on that part of your mind or your ego that thinks the million dollars is good. And that part of your mind is going to be very willing to trade away your (laughs) discomfort or anything that might be in the way of that goal. Whereas I find if you start from in here, you'll figure out, what you're really supposed to do and then of course your audience will feel it so for example with me doing this show now for a little over two years i knew that the only way i would do a podcast is if i could put the spotlight on other people because I'm you know, busy teaching a lot. And so I knew I didn't want to do a podcast where I did more teaching than I already do every month. But I was interested in putting the spotlight on other people, having conversations with them about their work and their work journey. And my intention at the time that we started was, I knew more people were ready to take a leap in their own creativity, whether that looked like art or whether that looked like I'm going to create a local community wellness center every week. And I often think that one of the patterns I noticed is we have very funny ideas about the process of what it takes to create something. You know, We tend to look at the finished result and go, wow, that's amazing. We don't know the blood, sweat and tears that people have gone through to get there. So for me, sharing the behind the scenes journey of other people was going to, for those of you who watch or listen, hopefully empower you, to also recognize, oh, they're a bit like me and so I can do this too. And sure, for some of you, you probably just watch it and listen because you're interested in those kinds of conversations. So get very clear about what you would like to do because once you have a feeling in your body about, yeah, I could do this once a week or twice a month or whatever your schedule is, and that's important too, just because everyone else does it weekly, that might not suit you. You might want to do six podcasts a year, and that's what you're going to do. So you always have to, I feel, combine what, what feels true to you to do, but also take into account what do people need and want Equally, it's not good as a creator, if you really want to connect your work with other people to completely ignore the, the audience for that work. You know, I always think it's a relationship between what am I noticing there is a need out there for, because I keep hearing about it or people keep telling me about it. And how might I best serve that need in the world while also feeling like I'm connected to the work I'm doing and I enjoy my podcasts and I enjoy showing up for it. So that's my, that's always my concern. Um, whenever we're too strategic without thinking about the inner experience. Because if you have a good inner experience with what you're doing, you're going to stick with it. If you're just trying to create an outside result without really feeling connected to it, perhaps you're copying what someone else is doing because you think that will give you the same success that they have had. And of course, their success is not really about their strategy. It's about their alignment with what they're doing sure, some strategic thought goes into these things. But for me, that always comes afterwards. If you're aligned with what you want to do, and if you have a passion to do a podcast, figure out what you would be most interested in doing. And maybe for you, it's a variety. You might interview someone one show, you might talk about something another show. So I often hear people say, oh, I I would do a podcast, but there's so many podcasts in the world. There's so many ears in the world and so many eyes in the world, and we're all so different. I listen to some podcasts that I'm sure only a thousand people listen to maybe, maybe less than a thousand. And I love those podcasts because they are answering a need for me and what I'm interested in. So whatever it is you have an interest in sharing with the world, there will be people out there who will find it. And if you start from that place of alignment, you can always build strategy and structure later. I began this show on a whim, not even knowing how we were going to edit them, post-produce them. I just knew I wanted to start having the conversation. So I started there and I figured all the rest out later. It took us eight, nine months to publish the first show from when I had begun filming them. So start and then you'll figure out the rest later. And yes, the world needs your podcast if you have a feeling to do it. Can you please speak about focusing on potential? I have a habit of falling in love with the potential of my partners and relationships, and I lose sight of who they actually are. I end up staying in relationships much longer than I should because I wait for this potential of growth to happen and I'm left with disappointment. Each relationship ends with me feeling shattered with time I've wasted and love I have given to someone who technically isn't the person I hold them to be. Why do I do this and how can I stop this? Such a good question and such a common theme. You know, I have a course called Empaths Versus Narcissists, and it's all about that power dynamic relationship that empaths and narcissists get into. And an empath will wait for years for someone to transform rather than paying attention to what's actually happening. So there's a couple of different ways we can look at this. I mean, this is a really good question. Honestly, it would take 30 minutes to answer it in detail, but I'll try, and, I'll try and pull on some of the key threads. Ask yourself, if this is you, how satisfied am I with my life and my humanity and human life? Because sometimes there's an escapism going on. It's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not comfortable or happy with what's going on right now. I actually feel uncomfortable with what's going on right now, I actually feel uncomfortable with who I am. I'm, I'm not that appreciative of other human beings. I'm, I can see their soul could be so much brighter. So you're, you're kind of living in a world that's a little off planet as to what's actually happening, which again, is a normal response when we have trauma. Sometimes we go to spirituality to save our lives. And then gradually we have to come back down into the body. We might have a big epiphany, a big awakening, a big opening, but none of it is useful unless we can ground it in our human body and see actual tangible results change us. So can you be more forgiving to yourself and to other people about where they're at? And are you willing to be really met in relationship to be able to stand in front of another human being and look them in the eye and let them look you in the eye and let them love you warts and all. And you love them warts and all. So it's not some idealized idea of a relationship, which we're often sold. Sure, there are those idealized moments, but like everything in life, those are moments and there are highs and lows and they come and go. How able are you to just accept and love this person in front of you With all their soul potential, but also recognize who they are as a human. And usually when we're able to get to that place, we're no longer running away either from ourselves or from love and from being in that kind of love with someone else. Because truly to be in that kind of deep love, what you are really inviting yourself to do is to love everything about them, even the days, you know, the two of you aren't getting on, and vice versa, they're doing the same for you. You know, they know you in your highs, your lows, your contracted parts, your expanded parts. So there is something here going on for you. And this is, I went through this too for many, many years, by the way. Some idealism or some role that you've cast yourself in as a healer. And that's the other side of it. We cast ourselves in the healer role, and we think that's our value. We think that's how we can be loved because perhaps that was our people-pleasing survival strategy in earlier relationships you know we were afraid we were being rejected or maybe we had been rejected but perhaps we weren't rejected when we were helpful to them so there can be a healer role going on as well that you're letting yourself play out in your relationship wouldn't it be a beautiful thing to be in a relationship with someone where you don't have to be hyper vigilant about whether or not they're in their potential and you're also not expecting them to be hyper vigilant about yours. There's just a, an ease and a landing in the body. Also, what we can often be doing is we can be recasting people in the now in old roles from our past. So let's say we were never able to heal in one of our most formative relationships. We never felt seen or met. We were with someone who perhaps was a little dismissive toward us. And that was what we learned as normal. We got used to being slightly dismissed. So to compensate for that, we start being a bit more hyper, uh, being, trying to get attention, trying to do things to try and be seen. And then what we can do is if we haven't figured out that's what we went through and we haven't cleaned up our side of the street in that dynamic and let some of that go, we just recast someone else. We cast a lover or a business partner or a friend to kind of play out some of that stuff that we're trying to heal. So, you know, for you, I mean, there are many different ways to look at it. I've spoken about three areas to just sit with and think about. But for you to allow yourself to be with someone in all their brilliance and all their limitation and to equally celebrate yourself and to not be hard on yourself about whether you've met your potential or not because potential is potential. It's like there are potential future timelines going on on earth right now that we may or may not walk into. But the cliche phrase is true, be here now. Can you be here now with somebody and also let them be here now with you and find the person that actually you feel matched with rather than being in a habit pattern of finding someone who isn't quite what you want or need, but you tell yourself a story about how they could become that. Because that's not really being here now in love. That's being here in the future and hoping that the future will bring you what you want while compromising today with what reality is showing you and what the other person is showing you. So I hope that helps and thank you for the question. How can I get clarity in my life when I feel lost, when I feel like I just don't know which way to go, or what is my soul's purpose? I think purpose is such a big thing on the planet right now. So many people are feeling less purposeful about what their life used to be and what it used to look like, which is in tandem with how the world is changing, but also it can be a very oppressive thought you know, what's my life's purpose? It's it's almost as if we're looking for one conclusive phrase for our life. And from my perspective, there are going to be many purposes to our life in different phases. So for example, if someone becomes a parent, their purpose for the next 15, 20 years is going to be dominantly involving parenting. It's not that you aren't still a parent after 20, but you know, there's a real intensity to parenting for the first 15 or more years that is going to become a part of your purpose. And then at some point, the child has grown, they've moved away. You're still a parent, but you're not as needed or as purposeful a parent in this phase as you were earlier on, or it's just different. So I think it's dangerous sometimes to think you're looking for a purpose or your purpose. The best thing any of us can do if we feel adrift, if we feel like we're lost, how can I get engaged? And this may sound... Mm, counterintuitive to what you're really looking for, but rather than looking to be engaged in a huge way, how can you be engaged today? So let's say you're sitting in your house and you're like, I feel lost, I haven't got my purpose. How can you connect to small acts of purpose now? So do you feel purposeful when you bake or cook? Well, yeah, I do actually. When I'm doing that, I'm just focused on the task. Great, do that a bit more often. Do you feel purposeful when you take the dog for a walk? Well, yeah, I do because the dog needs walking and I usually meet some friends and I like being out in nature. Great. Keep giving yourself to as many acts and habits around purpose as you can. And do say to the universe, I'm looking for my next purpose in life. I'm looking for my next sense of purpose. But equally, pay attention to all the purpose going on in your life today. Because it's interesting, we can be very resistant to being purposeful. And that's different. That's a very different thing. We're like, oh, no, I don't want to bake. I don't want to cook. I don't want to walk the dog. I just want to sit here and feel miserable about the fact I've got no purpose. Okay. But you're not going to feel purposeful from that place. Purpose is not going to magically appear. So tiny acts of purpose, like any tiny habit, compounds. So if you start to look for the tiny purpose in your life every day, you will find it. You know, I'm someone who feels incredibly purposeful in my work and what I'm doing here in life. And I'm really grateful that's the case because there were times earlier on in my adulthood where I was trying to figure that out and trying to find that. And that's not enough for me. Like, you know, I have to find my tiny acts of purpose every single day as a human being. Like, oh, oh, I'm feeling good in this moment, looking at this tree. And that's completely different to my work purpose so i don't believe we have one work purpose i believe we're multi-dimensional and there are many different purposes so for you to find something you feel connected to right now is the most important thing you're looking for try and forget about big grandiose dreams or goals start asking yourself okay did i feel purposeful today do a review at the end of each day and go yeah i did actually i spoke to my friend we had a nice conversation And she said at the end that I really helped her. Okay, cool. So start to notice where that body feeling of purposefulness comes out for you. I don't even know if that's a word, purposefulness. Maybe it isn't. But start looking at where that body connected feeling shows up and just start to track that. Because the more connected we are to those small acts the more we live a life that feels purposeful as a whole. Most children are not looking to come up with some grandiose goal that they can fulfill when they're 20. Most children want to be involved. like They want to feel connected. They want to feel alive. They want to be purposeful in the moment without really thinking too far ahead. And that's how I think we've, as adults, often lost our sense of purpose. We've lost those small connections that are there for all of us, that we can co-create with each other, that we can create in our life. So start small, repeat, do often, and start to track it and start to notice how purposeful you feel. And then you'll figure out, oh yeah, these are things I really like. And then somebody may say to you, would you like to come over here and do this project with me? And you might go, actually, that really suits me because yeah, I love animals. I'm really good with kids. Uh, yeah, actually, that fits my inner purpose, and that is how an outer purpose can start to build and grow in the world. I hope that helps, and good luck. How does it feel to have done 10 years of your energy updates? What has surprised you the most? Um we just celebrated 10 years of me doing the energy update videos uh, this past February. Uh, what has surprised me the most? I'm still doing them, honestly. Um, some of you may have seen our uh, a, be- a beautiful behind-the-scenes documentary that was made by our video editor, Rebecca, and members of our team. And um, I-, I share in that documentary, which is on our YouTube channel, that I was going to quit doing the energy updates, very, very seriously, like that close to quitting, like three times. So it's interesting to me to now look back at 10 years and to see how sticking with it let me transform. But there were several times when I was very uncomfortable doing them and questioned whether they were good for me to keep doing. And what kind of kept me going was what in, in, in all of those moments, it was people telling me what they did for them and how they help them or how they use them as one of their guideposts every month and that helped me get over myself and recognize okay if you've got some stuff to figure out in yourself or grow through or let go of i can do that if that's what the effect is is having outside so what has surprised me most is the fact that i'm still doing them 10 years later and um but it's been brilliant and it has taught me so much and having that connection uh, with so many of you every single month has been incredible. And really, I I see the energy updates as so instrumental to everything else that we do here, because it's the thing that really reaches the farthest at the moment. So um, it has surprised me what a life they have had and what kind of life they have given me. And it started with a simple idea and doing a video, which is partly why I love doing this podcast, because I think All all of us as creators just have no idea what kind of fire we're lighting when we start something. You just you have no idea where it's going to take you, how it's going to teach you, who you're going to get connected to. So um, yeah, I'm surprised I'm still here. Will we be celebrating 15 or 20 years? Who knows? Time's a mystery. But that would be cool. Thank you for your question. follow up on a procrastination question from an earlier Ask Me Anything show. Is fear the root of any procrastination? Is it fear that keeps people from doing their taxes or filing or cleaning or regular exercise, etc.? If so, can you say more? Um, This is a hilarious question for me right now because I was severely procrastinating with something yesterday and I got, I got all the jobs done that I'd been avoiding for a while because I was trying to avoid doing this other thing I was supposed to do. So I don't know if it is always fear. Um, for some people, it can be fear. It can be the fear of getting the thing done and who they will be or the change that will come over them when they have done this thing, committed to this thing, made that decision. For some people, it is fear. Um, For some people, yeah, fear of getting it wrong or getting it right. But I've met other people where procrastination is almost in in an overly fast world. It's a permission slip for them to just kind of ruminate in their mind and not really take any action. I think sometimes we think we're procrastinating because we're trying to force ourselves to do something we shouldn't be doing. And so procrastination in some cases with some people or with some of us can just be, it's like, well, you don't really need to do that. Your mind is telling you you should or thinks you should. But actually, if you're not doing it, then pay attention to that. So I also think as we can all have little micro addictions to things, you can have a micro addiction to being late or being early or other little habits that we have. Some people just have a pattern of procrastination that they've got very comfortable with. So I wouldn't ever want to put everybody in one box and say it was fear because I have seen it be many different things for people. But the thing about procrastination when it comes to decision-making that I'm most aware of is its fear of getting it wrong. And I think there's a very black and white linear way of thinking that leads you to that place. Because the truth is, let's, let's take a menu, for example. Let's say you're looking at a menu of cakes and you've got five choices and you're like, oh, I don't know which one I want. And you're stuck in procrastination. You know, what I would say if I was sitting opposite you is I'd say, well, choose one. And if you don't like it, you can get a different one. And of course, you know, some people would go, well, I can only afford to buy one. And I go, okay, well, I would probably say, well, I'll buy you the other one just to kind of break the spell. But it's very interesting to notice When we are given a hand out of procrastination, are we grateful and do we take the hand or do we slap the hand and go, stay away from me and my procrastination, I'm fine. You know, I've met many people like that, people I love, and I've tried to help them with something and there's something in the procrastination that they are getting something out of. So, it's not always a bad thing. It's some habit they've got or it's some way of, you know, they enjoy the back and forth in their mind. They want to be in their mind longer than they want to be in action. Because the way through procrastination is make a decision, take an action. So if you're not doing those things, you can ask yourself, well, what's stopping me? And some of you might say, oh, my God, it's trauma. You know, I'm traumatized. I will do the wrong thing. And this is very common. You know, when we've gone through big grief or big trauma, we tend to lose our decision-making abilities. We go through a period of time where we just feel completely off kilter. So that's one thing. But I know many people who actually quite enjoy procrastination, whether they would admit that or not. I've, I've seen them at work and I'm like, oh, this is cool. That's just part of their way. They don't want to be that decisive. They don't want to take an action, but they love ruminating over it and they kind of enjoy going back and forth in their minds. So the question for you is, is your procrastination making you very uncomfortable? Or is your procrastination just something you should accept about yourself? The funniest thing about it is when we accept who we are, we tend to change. But we change from a place of not forcing ourselves and instead just being curious about who we are and who we're we're wired to be. The other thing is, is procrastination getting in the way of your life? I have things in my life that I'm very decisive about, and then I have other areas where I'm a bit more like, oh, I'm not quite sure. And that's normal, having a balance of that can be fine. And you probably don't wanna be decisive all the time, otherwise you're quite fixed. Equally, you don't wanna be stuck in procrastination because nothing will ever happen. So ask yourself, when did my procrastination begin? When did I decide this was a good way of being? What is it protecting me from? How is it keeping me safe? Ask questions, speak to your procrastination, write some questions down and see what comes. But I think it's a tricky thing because for some people, it's a part of their life. For some people, it's trauma history that can be helped by really understanding what the trauma is and giving the trauma the healing it needs, thus freeing you up to move forward. But a lot of the times, we're afraid of making a decision and walking into the future. So procrastination can also just be a a certain timidity. So it's different for everybody. And I hope something I said rang true for you. And our final question for today, your Life Holds Me music video is absolutely beautiful. It moved me to tears. What is the creative process for you and your team? Thank you. That's that's great. So, we actually filmed the music video for Life Holds Me right here in this studio. Of course, it, it looked very different, but right where I'm standing now. And the, the thing about music videos is you always want to somehow enhance or connect with the song. And it's not always easy to do, to be honest. you know There are some music videos that come out brilliantly and other times you don't quite enhance or you don't quite get there. The process for Life Holds Me was very much a a process of looking at what the song stood for, which is the song is all about life and love and connection is holding us every day. Even when we don't see it, even when we're not acknowledging it, it's holding us every day. So when I first had a meeting with Patrick, our director, Wendy, who produced the video, the, the whole point was, let's show connected relationships. And so very quickly, we arrived at the people that we are personally connected to in our little group and, and to see if they would come into the studio and share some of their connection, share some of their love, share some of their relationships be in the room. So it was a very interesting day. We we shot for a, quite a long day on a Saturday. And the fact that it gives you tears, what I can tell you is there were many moments here in the studio where we had tears, where we were feeling the emotional history with, uh, you know, we, we have um, our beautiful dancers and couples and parents and children. I mean, it, it was very rich in this room. So um, and then the way that it all got edited together by Patrick um, really was designed to highlight and spotlight that love and connection. So we wanted to put a video out that would give you a dose of that. Um, so if you haven't seen the video, you can find that at leharrismusic.com. That's the website for all of my music. And we have a, a couple of other videos uh, there as well from the album, I Am Peace, which Life Holds Me is from. So enjoy. Thank you for your question. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in today. That is it for our Ask Me Anything episode. Don't forget, you can submit a question for a future episode by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving us a review, and in the review, putting your question, and we will go through all of those before we tape the next one in a couple of months. But for now, thank you for tuning in. Hope you have a great day and see you next time on Impact the World. For those of us who are sensitive, intuitive, or walking a spiritual path, it is our practices and the support that we have in our life that often is the key to how well we can walk through life. Nine years ago, I created the portal to be an answer to that need for members of my community who wanted to go more in-depth with my work. And while my work is still very much a centerpiece of the portal, we have now added other teachers, other voices, other offerings so that the Portal can become a well-rounded place for you to receive nourishment and be uplifted, shifted and supported every single month. Here is a look at some of the offerings that you receive every month as a Portal member. Once a month, I do a 90-minute live video broadcast. Don't worry if you can't be there live. Everything in the portal is provided to you as a replay. But doing it live is a chance for me to be with you as a community. And in that broadcast, I channel. I speak about the energies of the month and expand on my monthly energy update. And also take some community questions. Every month, you will also receive an MP3. And the MP3 will either be a channeled message from my guides, the Zs, set to original music from Davor Bozik or it will be an energy alchemy meditation or some other energy teaching. These will be put into your members library and you will have access to them to stream and download. We also give you access to a classics library where we take eight classic recordings from recent years so that you can listen to more. Qigong and wellness teacher Stephen Washington gives you an exclusive Qigong sequence every single month. It's called the Body Energy Update, and he takes the themes from my monthly energy updates on YouTube and creates a movement sequence for you designed to support you and your process as we go through each month. Stephen is also a wonderful meditation teacher, and so you will have access to a library of short, digestible meditations from him. As soon as you join, you will also get access to our bonus intuitive power workshop. This was a tour that we took to several different countries a couple of years ago and we had it professionally filmed. So you will be able to watch a four and a half hour video workshop where both myself and Steven teach you about accessing and owning your intuition in a deeper way. And to round all of this out, we have special member discounts on courses of mine. We also have special music playlists each month. One set of songs designed to help soothe you and one set of songs designed to get you moving. And last year, we brought to The Portal something I've wanted to do for a very long time, The Portal Presents. It's where I get to invite some incredible teachers, creatives, healers, musicians into The Portal. And every month, we spotlight one of them where they deliver an on-camera teaching specifically for our Portal members. It's a beautiful new feature. We have had some incredible people coming in and we've got some amazing people lined up for the next year. And the final aspect of the Portal is mine and my team's favorite. It's the community energy. So as well as having a private members forum inside the Portal, for those of you who aren't on social media, We also have a private, moderated Facebook group exclusively for Portal members. This is where so many members get to share what they're experiencing, things they're learning, people they're enjoying, and essentially connecting you with people from all over the world who are focused on similar interests to you. My aim with the Portal has always been to offer you as much value for your membership as possible. And I feel like in the last year or so, we have really been able to maximize that. So we look forward to welcoming you to the portal and we hope it is a place that can nourish your mind, your body and your soul. Big love.